What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Uh, it's great to be just studying about Jesus. It really is. And it's really exciting to be in this series about questions Jesus asks. Um, before, I, I just had a quick question before we move to the next slide. Sandy, hold tight. So two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, Pastor Brian brought to us a question that Jesus asked. Does anybody remember what it is? That's right. Okay. And then last week, okay, and, and he said that. Go ahead, flip the question up. He said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And go to the next slide. He talked about how the timing was right, the question was powerful, and the insight was amazing. Last week, what was the question? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? In fact, I was actually going to do my Brian imitation up here just to have, help prompt you. Hey, church, how you doing this morning? <laughs> just to kind of get, to, get the juices rolling, okay? But the question was, there was a man who had been invalid 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned he had been this way in the condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? And last week we learned story changes aren't easy. Isn't that the truth? Do we want to get well? And then that Jesus is the one who can change our stories, particularly when we realize that we can't change it ourselves. So this week we're continuing in these questions that Jesus asked. And today... I'm going to have us look at the question posed by Jesus in John 6, 67, where Jesus asked his closest followers, referred to as the 12, you do not want to leave, do you? And I want us to get us thinking about how Jesus desires for us to go forward with him instead of going back to our old lives, how Jesus desires for us to get and keep an eternal perspective, and also how Jesus desires for us to hold on tighter to him as things in our lives get harder. When, when they all most often do when we start to follow him seriously. As Pastor Brian mentioned, there are over 300 different questions Jesus asks. And this is the third of those that we're going to look at today. Now, what I want to tell you is we are fascinated by questions. Okay? Our, all of us are fascinated by questions, in particular most people who watch television are fascinated by questions. So much so that we actually have a culture of watching shows on television where people get to ask questions. Okay? And we watch them. We watch them get asked the question. We watch them answer the question. We sit there for half an hour, an hour, and watch them do this. So we are fascinated by that. So what I want to do is I just want to put up a couple pictures just to think, get you thinking. How about this one? Let's first picture. Anyone want to know this one? What's the question? What's the question? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Okay? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Let's look at the next one. Are you what? The weakest link. Are you the weakest link? And this is the one that most of us will be more familiar with. Who wants to be a millionaire, right? Of course, we all do, right? And of course, these next two are iconic, right? Just leave it there for a second. Right, this is our wheel, right? This is our wheel of fortune, okay? And the last one is Jeopardy, right? So Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, Alex Trebek and Pat Sajak earn over $13 million each for their shows that are watched by 9 to 10 million people weekly. So we are fascinated by people asking questions and answering them. In fact, even with Jeopardy, we love the fact that you get to answer a question what? With a question. We're just questions, 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 right? So I just want to point out that on Jeopardy, it's actually been very uh, current in the news. Those of you who are following the news these days. Okay, this past Wednesday, this guy James Holzheiser had the second longest winning streak in Jeopardy history. On Wednesday, his 20-day total went over $1.5 million. And he's continued to win Thursday and Friday as well. He's still going on, okay? 
On that Wednesday, it was interestingly when he won and, and basically came into second place, the final Jeopardy, he wagered over, he wagered over $40,000 on a category of the King James Bible. He had the correct response. The correct response was, what is death? Okay? And it was an answer to, of the four writers mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, only one is explicitly named. Now, what's interesting is this James guy, although he knew what the Bible had to say about the writer of death in the book of Revelation, if you followed any of his Twitter tweets, you realize that he knows very little details about the eternal life that's mentioned in that book of Revelation. And that's what we're going to look at today, because Jesus is going to talk about a question that deals with eternal life. And in our passage today, we will see that Jesus asked him, you do not want to leave, do you? And we'll see that Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, answers the question saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Which is followed by the statement, this is what goes back to James on Jeopardy, you have the words of eternal life. It's not about death, it's about life. And Jesus is the one who has the words of eternal life. And we're going to look at him today. So let's turn our attention to our passage, and we're going to read it in this context. If you have your Bible or Bible app with you, please turn with me to John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. Feel free to follow along on the screen as well. We're going to put it up there, okay? On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. There's that word life again, that eternal life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them would not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Moving on. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Sad pause there. And this is where our question comes in today. It says, you do not want to leave, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And then Simon Peter, as we just read a few, few minutes ago, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Again, asking a question with a question. Jeopardy style there, Peter. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So what I want to do is I want to unpack these slides a bit, uh, unpack these verses a bit rather, and look apply them to our lives. Starting in verses 60 through 66, that's really the setup to the question. It's the context of what was happening. And then verse 67 is our question, and verse 68 and 69 are the response that we saw from Peter and the disciples. So let's look at the setup this, to this question. As for the setup, what we can see is that Jesus said that they have been, basically there's some hard things. This is a hard teaching. So what was so hard about what he was sharing? So if we look back in verse 60, and before then, there was this verse where Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. That seems very gory, graphic. What in the world is this all about? So what was happening here is Jesus was using some imagery, some language to help them understand what he meant by this. So when Jesus says that they have no life unless they do that, he's saying that they are dead in their sins without him. He's saying that they must realize that there's nothing good in them that will enable them to receive this eternal life. And that the only thing that can is something that comes into them. So when they eat his flesh and drink his blood, it's that they're receiving Jesus into their spirit, into their soul, what he did for them. And when they receive that inside, then they're made right. So this is 
this is, was really hard. Well, why was it hard? Why is it hard to hear that? It's hard to hear that because it says there's nothing we can do. I don't like hearing that. That bothers me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can think, say, or do to be right with God. That's a stumbling block because it means that it's somebody else who did everything for me, and I've got to rely on somebody else. How many of you like relying on other people? Okay? We won't ask hands here. Okay? Because they, they don't pull through sometimes, right? We're not sure if they're going to come through. And that's really what we're going to see in the end of what Peter has to say to Jesus a little bit later on. So earlier in verse 40, in chapter 6, Jesus said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So this ability to say, look, there's nothing in me that's good, and it's all Jesus, that's a universal call. That's to all of us, anybody who's here today. And our hope here is that as Jesus described his flesh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood as the way to remain in him, that all of you, any of us who haven't done that yet today, this would be the day. That your eyes would be open, your hearts would be, have a desire to really stop relying on the things that you're going to think, say, and do, and just be saved. And he's going to be the one, as Brian talked about last week, who changes your story. Maybe today be the day that your story be changed. We must believe that in him we have all we need. Jesus' words cause us to consider that it's only through him. It's only through his blood that gives us the life. Now, for all of us, you know, be it someone who's seeking or someone who's already believing in Jesus, I recommend that this is a great week to just go and read this whole chapter. This chapter starts at the beginning in John chapter 6 with Jesus feeding the 5,000 bread and fish, ironically, and then ending here with Jesus talked about him being the one that we need to feed on. So he feeds people, they go away, and there's a few left, and that's where we kind of end our chapter here today. So what happened when these people heard these hard things? We see in verse 66 that many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So what I just want you to kind of consider what's going on here. What it was is that they realized that what Jesus was saying was not something that they were looking for. Did you ever kind of start following something? Maybe you watch a TV show and you kind of think, oh, I like where this is going, and then eventually it takes a turn, and then you give up on it, and you're like, okay, that was a waste of my time. That's the feeling these people had. It just was much more paramount than that, okay? The actual term that, that John uses here is a, really a defection. It's almost like leaving your country, defecting it, and going back to another country from which you came. They did not go off the straight road. They simply basically turned back their steps and went the other way. Um, it's really about, I no longer want to be associated with you anymore. We're done. I've had enough. We're out of here. So what I want to do is I just want to give a little more context. I just want to give a little more sense of what's going on here. It's, it's the idea of basically going back to what was familiar. Because this Jesus thing was kind of scary. They had been following him along. He's been taking care of them, saying some hard things. And now they realize that they're at a crossroad. They're going to have to decide which way they're going to go. So they stopped associated with him. They used to be his followers, but because of these harsh words, they parted ways. Now, it's interesting. At this point in time, that's where the question comes up. And Jesus asked the people who are left. So the Pharisees have left, most of the crowd has left, and now he's down to just the 12. And he asked them, you do not want to leave too, do you? Now, this question is very interesting because it really, it's, it's some language that Jesus uses here where he's asking them, do you still want to have any part of me? 
Okay, now those of us who are married or who have close friends, you sometimes get in these conflicts where you foolishly say what? I want to have not even one, no part of you anymore. Right, I'm done. We're done. And so he's basically saying, are we done? Are you guys done too? Do you guys want to follow those? Do you want to go back to where you're at? Do you want to go back fishing? Do you want to go back taking, collecting taxes? Do you want to go back doing all the things that I called you from? And what's going on here is stretching this a bit. It's really Jesus, in essence, saying deal or no deal. Just with our theme here of these game shows, right? Because the, the term here, ironically, is used when you extend somebody your best offer. It's, it's not a business transaction term, but it's a sense of, look, this is the best I got. Do you want it or not? Do you want to stop relying on yourself and receive me? Do you want to stop relying on, on the things that you're doing to be accepted by God and right with God day in and day out? And do you want to rely on me? That's what he's asking them. Now what's neat is, is that Jesus basically left it up to them. He wanted it on their own terms. He didn't want to cajole them, coerce them, this wasn't a guilt trip. Oh, you're leaving too. Great. Lovely. Right? But this was a voluntary choice that he asked them to make. Are you going to follow me too? And what's great is I love the answer. And it's the answer that's really helped me in my own spiritual journey quite a bit. Peter's answer is one I've, I've used. And I, Peter answers. And in classic Peter form, you know, he was kind of one of those Mr. Cot. Ooh, pick me. And he answers on behalf of the whole group. Right? He says, hey. Because he uses the term we. Right? He says, hey, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? And the way that he describes this here is, is really explaining the rationale, like, why would we go anywhere else? And he says, why? Because you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. So if somebody asks you, as we go back to the series, like, who is Jesus? He is the one who has eternal life. Now, Peter, he didn't call a friend, right? He didn't try 50-50, right? He gave us his final answer. Final answer, Peter. We're here. We're in it with you. Now, after the rationale, Peter basically says the declaration, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So not only does he have the, the words of eternal life, but he says that you are the Holy One of God. Now, what's neat is, is that this believe and come to know, the language here, what's going on is believing is a sense of conviction, absolute trust in something, that it's going to happen. Okay, so much so that you believe it deep in your soul. It's, it's like you know the sun will come up tomorrow. It's that level of understanding. And then also when we talk about kind of this come to know, it's a sense of that I know, I, I, I've come to know, I will know, and I will know forever that this is what it's going to be. It's forever. So the question is, do we have any sense of conviction about Jesus? What are our thoughts about Jesus? after we hear these questions and this answer from Peter. So what I want to do is I want to say, how do we apply this interaction that Jesus had with Peter and the Twelve? What are the things that we can glean from this, just to get a sense of what's going on? Well, the first thing we can do is to see that Jesus desires for us to going forward with him instead of going back. Okay, how many of you have ever driven a car while tired? Okay, okay. what happens when we do that? We drift. Right? We go towards another. Now, fortunately, they have the, 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 the on, the, on some of the roads right now. They have blinkers. They help us. But the reality is, is that all of us in life, we have this propensity to drift. We can be drawn away towards things. Typically, what happens is we're drawn away by what I refer to as the herd, 
We see a bunch of other people. Oh, wait, there's that guy on Jeopardy. I didn't hear about him. I got to start watching Jeopardy, right? Like, okay, or whatever it is. Who wants to be a millionaire? I heard that's a good show. I should start watching that show. So people start doing things, and then we hear about it either through social media, through friends, and then we start going that way. That's what happened in this interaction. Jesus said some hard things. A whole bunch of people walked away from him. And it's really sad because we who have been involved in following Jesus for a long time, we know a lot of people who have walked away from the Lord. It breaks our hearts. Very sad. And, and it reminds me of this story, and this is a legitimate story. I, I double-checked it, okay? It's from AP News in 2005, okay? There's some sheep, and they followed each other to their demise. First, one sheep jumped off a cliff to its death, then, these shepherds who had gone off to have breakfast watched as over 1,500 sheep followed, each leaping off the same cliff in the end, resulting in over 450 of them dying. Okay, and why do you think the rest didn't die? Any sense? Because there was a cushion from the other ones. <laughs> you know, talk about sleep match. I mean, so, but the idea is, is that, you know, we are often in scriptures referred to as what? Sheep. Okay because we follow things. We just have this propensity to drift. And one of my life verses that's been really helpful for me is Hebrews 2.1. It says, we may pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So Jesus here, as he asks this question, he knows that our heart's desires sometimes drift away from him. And he wants to ask Peter and the 12, and he wants to ask us, do you want to lead me too? Do you want to lead me too? And I realize in my own life there are times I don't feel close to God. But without desire and spiritual disciplines in place, I begin to drift and have doubts of whether it's really worth it. But fortunately, I, like Peter and the Twelve, have come to believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. He's the one who died for me. He's the one whom I want to live for. He's the one, even when these times are drifting, I come back to the conviction, absolute trust, that I can rely on Him. Just as we sang all these songs earlier today that talked about, we look back and how He was faithful. He's reliable. And I encourage those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a while to look back. Look back in what he's done. Look how faithful he's been. Next, what Jesus wants us to do is to see that our desires, his desires for us is to get and keep an eternal perspective. Okay? Peter to answer Jesus to say, Jesus, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. So what in the world are these words of eternal life? And why does it matter? How important is eternity anyways? Now, what was neat is Peter was focused on things that were unending, as contrasted with that was brief, brief and fleeting. We all know things in our life that we've enjoyed, and then they fall apart. Or things that we've enjoyed, and then it's over, and then we kind of feel down. It's like the last show of, of a series that you're watching, and then you move into the summer, and you have nothing to watch, right? Or the last Avengers movie, which please don't ruin it for anybody, right? We've all had that warning. Right, so these come to an end. So these brief fleeting things are not that they're not enjoyable. They're not that God didn't design them for us to enjoy them, but they're not meant to be fulfilling. They're not meant to be the things that have the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life are not like our next great vacation or our next car, our next great meal, but they're things that are unending. What in your life is unending? There's only one thing. That's Jesus and his words. Beth Moore puts it this way, all that will matter in eternity as the glory that came to God as a result of my life. I will be most blessed when God is most glorified. 
And Colossians 3 reminds us of this, saying, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts where? On things above. This eternal perspective. Where Christ is. See that the right hand of God. Set your mind where? On things above. Not where? Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. And that's what Peter was talking about. He's like, our life is in you. We sang that. Speaking of these things above, I had the opportunity to go to this place. I don't know if any recognize this. This is in Hawaii on the island of Maui. And this is a place called Haleakala. Haleakala happens to be about 10,000 feet above sea level. That was a spectacular view. However, there were some people in my party who couldn't handle it. And they got what's called AMS, acute mountain sickness, which is common at high altitudes. At elevations over 10,000 feet, many ex people experience symptoms of headache, dizziness, fatigue, shortening of the breath, and others. I had a couple people who happened to be with me that day who fainted. And at that time, couldn't enjoy the perspective of the view that I could. Now, what's interesting about this, the cure for AMS, okay, is either acclimatization, basically get, get, getting accustomed to being up there, or descent. So it's very similar to our story today, right? You either go back down the, and miss out on the perspective that you get from here. I and mean, this is, go back, can you go back one slide to the view? This is the actual view. You're above, you're above the clouds. I mean, you're seeing the clouds, and you're above it. And this is what an eternal perspective gives you. Or, and so, but what happens is, is that too often in our daily lives, we don't get acclimated to this, right? We, we leave Haleakala, we go back down the hill, you know, we go to Walmart, we go to wherever else, and we're back in our daily lives. The eternal perspective is far from our minds, okay? Or what we can do is we can get used to having an eternal perspective every day, and we can see the beauty of who he is. We can see the things that are unending. We can look beyond, as we talked about in Colossians, not on the earthly things, but on things above. But to be able to get used to this, it needs to be a regular practice. Otherwise, we're going to get dizzy and sick because it's hard for us and we'll get a headache. Now, what I want to do is I want to share about my own perspective and how there's times that I've lost this eternal perspective, right? So what happens is, is that uh, my life gets a little chaotic. I get a little busy and I get a little anxious and get a little angry with people because I, I care about things here. And I want things here to be under control and right in a certain way. And when they're not, it's hard for me to deal with. But when I get this eternal perspective, I reorient myself on that, and I get a view of eternity what really matters. I'm a different person. So it's not only God's desire that we be eternally minded, but it's actually for the benefit of those in our lives when we are that way. Because we're much easier to live with. Okay? So God's desires isn't just for us to be thinking of heaven in some sort of flowery way but it's to experience peace and patience and kindness and those things in our heart as we have this eternal perspective with him here. Lastly, the thing that Jesus wants us to desire is to learn to hold on tight to him in our lives when things get harder. And as I warned you earlier, they will. Those of us who've been walking with Jesus realizes that life typically doesn't get easier. Now, for those of you who are teenagers, you're probably thinking it can't get any harder than this. Unfortunately, it does. It gets more complicated, it gets harder. But I will tell you, it is still hard when I was a teenager, right? It was hard to deal with final exams. It was hard to deal with peers. It was hard to deal with peer pressure. It was hard to deal with, you know, at that time, you know, it was phone bills, right? So, uh, and, and talking to girls too long on the phone. Now it's, now it's you know, uh, we have unlimited text, unlimited calls, you have unlimited everything, but you have other problems, so social media problems. So you may think that when you're following Jesus that it's 
supposed to get easier. Why is this Christianity thing, why is this faith in Jesus harder? I, I thought it's supposed to be easier. And what you realize is that Jesus said hard things because what it meant is, is that you need to every day rely on me. Every day remain in me. And as you every day remain in me, then you're going to have the things inside your heart that will work as you deal with life. And Pastor Brian talked about last week, uh, before I do, let me, let me give you a verse, okay? Hebrews 6, 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So that hope, that anchor is Jesus. And to realize the worth of an anchor, you sometimes need to what? Feel the storm. That's when you realize how powerful he is. And Pastor Brian last week talked about Horatio Spafford penning the words to the song, It Is Well, after experiencing this great loss of his daughters in the ship sunk at sea. Many of us are familiar with an artist named Matt Redman. Now, Matt Redman wrote many songs that many of us enjoy and sing. But many of you may not know that Matt Redman wrote this one song. We're going to put the lyrics up here in a second uh, to the chorus after learning that he had lost his own father to committing suicide when he was at age seven. Francis Chan, remember you know, has experienced a lot of also suicide in his family among his parents and murder. So there's people who just have these words that they put up. And many of you know this song by Matt Redman. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. Why? Because I know you are near. And here's the chorus that we sing. Oh, no, you never let go. When? Through the calm and through the storm. Oh, no, you never let go. In every high and every low. Oh, no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. This is what Peter explained to Jesus. He said, look, we know you have the words of eternal life. We've got nowhere else to go. We are confident that there'll be no other place we want to go. Jesus wants us to remain in him and him in us. And as this happens, he helps us to keep this perspective on eternity, not just here, but now. Loving faith in Jesus is strengthened by trials. It stands the test of adverse circumstances. In spite forces that have a tendency to draw us away from Jesus, it forces us to cling more to him when we look to him. Now, this is where I think in my own life, it's been the greatest irony. So I don't know about you guys, but um, I do occasionally blame God for things. I don't know if a few of you do that, but I do, particularly when things don't go as I had hoped. So I realize he's in control. I'd hoped things go a certain way and didn't turn out that way, so therefore it must be what? His fault, right? So, and then, so what happens? I get angry at him for allowing these hard things to happen, for things not to go as I wanted. And so at that time, if you're angry at someone, do you really want to talk to them? Do you really want to spend time with them? No, they, they, they kind of, like, you just want to move away from them, right? They're just like, I, I think. But there's the great irony of that moment in my spiritual journey that I realized is that at that time, when I, now I need what? I need comfort. I need wisdom. Where do I get the comfort and wisdom from? I got to go back. So it's just like, I don't want to go. I got to go. I don't want to go. I got to go. And that's where Peter was at. Like, look, they're all going away. Probably would be a good idea for us to go too. And he's like, but wait, you have the words of eternal life. So no, we don't want to go. I want to lean in rather than pull away. I want to lean in rather than pull away. And that's been my journey. So I don't know how you experience your own spiritual journey here with the Lord, but I just want to encourage you that as I lean in, he never lets go. He's always there for me. So I want to end with another famous TV game show. Now, this is a bit of a, this is going to be a hard thing to, because there's three types of people in the world, right? Those who understand math and those who don't. This is a math thing, okay? 
but uh, it is meant to help you understand just kind of where we're at with this question today, okay? And it's from a famous game show called Let's Make a Deal, okay? Now, Let's Make a Deal actually started in 1963 with a famous guy named Monty Hall, right? You guys remember Monty Hall, okay? Monty Hall introduced us to the word zonk, right? Uh, contestants dressed up from everything from chickens to hula dancers, and we didn't know what was behind door number one, door number two, or door number three, okay? But there is a thing called the famous Monty Hall problem. The problem is very simple. An individual has chosen one of these doors, knowing that behind one of these doors is an item they want, right? It's a car, it's a vacation, okay? Um, and then what happens is the host opens up one of the undetected doors, revealing one of the two unwanted items, typically a goat, right? That's what happens, okay? There's a goat. So Monty will show you one of the goats, okay? And then the question he asked them is what? Do you want to switch? Okay, do you want to trade? Do you want to change your mind, right? And then Jesus today, he says, look, do you see those people going over there? Do you want to go with them? Okay? Now, what's interesting about the Monty Hall problem is, is that should you switch? Should you switch? Math says yes. Actually, your chances of actually, if you switch, your chances go up. Okay? Two-thirds chance that you will get the right thing that you want. Now, those of you, are, are, your minds are being blown, okay, right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. I did warn you this might be tricky. So what happens is changing selections. Now, here's how it is. Monty knows where the car is, okay? So when he does that, he already knows whether you've picked it or not. So he's intentionally asking you a question that has some information, okay? So it could be counterintuitive because you believe you have a 50-50 chance if you switch, right? But because Monty knows that you've either picked the right or the wrong answer, Okay, he's asked you, do you want to switch? Do you want to trade? Okay, so there's some, what they call a vertical paradox going on here. And how, what happens is we get new information, we can misclassify it, and it can lead us down to a very false understanding. Okay, and far better to learn this lesson with goats and cars than with our eternal destiny. So what I want us to do today is to change our choice from what we see many other people doing to stopping, who are stopping following Jesus, but I'd rather like to do is, is to be convinced like Peter that the core of our being is putting our faith in Jesus because it's worth it. Why is it worth it? Because he is the words of eternal life. Why is it worth it? Where else would we go? Why is it worth it? Because he's worth trusting in. Nowhere else I want to be but with him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for these words, this question, and thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you died for us, and as a result of that, we can be right with you. God, help us to resist the temptation to go back and help us to go forward. God, help us to get and keep this eternal perspective to be able to enjoy this peace that passes all understanding. God, help us to hold on tight to you in these times of difficulties, relying on you today and from this day forward. In your name, amen.